Welcome back to Bite Size Shakespeare. This is the second episode of our deep dive into A Midsummer Night's Dream. My name is Emma. And I'm Jess. And we are so excited to be back at it again this week. Yes, that was a really long intermission. Yeah, it was. I got kind of hungry. Yeah, did you get some popcorn? Oh, you know I did. I love popcorn. Good, good. I'm equipped today with some tranquil peach tea in my Bob Ross mug today. Fantastic. Yeah, so that was my intermission splurge, if you will. Well, without further ado, yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's go! So we move into scene two, and we get Titania talking with her fairies. And this is kind of just Titania falling asleep, and then Oberon goes and he squeezes the flowers into Titania's eyes, which she's, it's implied she won't wake up until there's some foul beast near and then, he says, when thou wakest, it is thy dear. Wake when some vile thing is near. Yes. And, like, it's viewed as this kind of sweet thing, even though it's it's a little, you know, it's not great. <laughs> it's, I mean, <laughs> there's some dynamics in this play, and I would argue in every Shakespeare play, that aren't the best. These yeah. these people are not making the best life choices. No. Let's say that. If you're ever fighting with your significant other, don't be like Oberon. <laughs> yeah, don't take the bard's advice. Yeah, he doesn't usually have good advice. So Titania falls asleep and then Lysander and Hermia are other two lovers that are in love and are running away to get married to go live with Lysander's aunt. They are like, okay, we've been walking for so long, I guess we should go to yeah, sleep. Yeah, they're like, it's getting dark, we need to go to bed. And Lysander's like, yeah, we do. And Hermia's like, no. <laughs> no, we don't. Don't sleep next to me. You go sleep over there. I'll sleep right here and you go way over there. And yeah. there's this whole fun <laughs> thing. To, again, with the innuendos, we have so much of that here. Yes. So he says, one heart, one bed, two bosoms, and one troth. I want to point that out. People think it's it's troth. It's troth because it's true oath. If I hear somebody else <laughs> say troth, I'm going to lose my mind. But he, he says, you know, like, we could be together. And she's like, nay, good Lysander, for my sake, my dear. Lie farther off yet, do not lie so near. So Hermia, is, she's portrayed as this very, like, innocent and perfect flower you'll she's soon see super virtuous yeah she, she is very virtuous so hermia ultimately wins this argument her and lysander are sleeping pretty far apart from each other which in is important forest. for the plot yes it's very important because right when hermia and lysander fall asleep we have puck coming in again the troublemaker yes and he goes oh a man and a woman in athenian clothes i'm gonna put love juice in the man's eyes He's like, oh, they must be fighting because they're lying so far apart from each other. There's yeah. no way they're in love. This has got to be the couple that Oberon told me about. Even though it's Helena and Demetrius, not Hermia and Lysander, but Puck doesn't know that, so he puts the magic juice in Lysander's eyes. And then we have Demetrius and Helena coming, and they're still fighting. They're yes. still having this whole thing. Helena loves Demetrius so much, and Demetrius just hates Helena. And he makes that very clear. And he's running away from her. And she runs out of breath. And so she takes a break right near Lysander. Yeah. So then we have Lysander right next to Helena. And he wakes up and sees Helena. And remember, he has the love juice on his eyes. So he falls in love with Helena. So now we just have this love triangle is made even more complicated. It gets worse. (laughs) It gets way worse. So here, Lysander is in love with Helena. And Hermia is in love with Lysander. And Demetrius is in love with Hermia. And Lysander's actually in love with Hermia, but he's got the love spell on him, so he's in love with Helena. And Helena sees this, and Helena thinks they're playing a prank on her. Yeah, Helena thinks that Lysander and Hermia are playing a joke on her, 
and, and this is a really sad part to me. Every time I see this play or read it, I just think, oh, what a horrible thing. Yeah. You know, you just think that your best friend and her fiance are just making fun of you because you're unlovable or you're less than them. Mm-hmm. And it really is kind of heartbreaking. So Lysander, you know, he's actually in love with Hermia, but he got the love spell. So he thinks he's in love with Helena and Helena thinks that this is a joke from Lysander so she runs away. Helena has kind of this really devastating moment where she thinks that her best friend's fiance is just making fun of her. Yeah. Because she isn't loved by Demetrius. Yes. And he even made like a moment earlier, you know, in the very beginning scene where he's like, as you dote on him, Demetrius dotes on you. You know, which could be played into her interpretation of this Mm -hmm. scene where she just thinks that nobody loves her. And it makes me really sad every time I see this play or read it. It's just kind of a really sad moment that she has and then she just runs away so she doesn't get any resolution any resolution from this it's miscommunication again there's that word and then lysander is like i don't see hermia i don't care about hermia and he chases after helena and then hermia wakes up and is like lysander's not here and then runs after lysander yeah and it's kind of a sad scene so our mechanicals come back in right at the beginning of act three and in this, they're still rehearsing for their play. This is basically all that they do. Yes. Just... I, this is supposed to be their first rehearsal of mm-hmm. the play. And you're correct. This is all they do. <laughs> yeah. So Peter Quince has written this play and he's come back with the scripts and they're going to rehearse now. Bottom does what Bottom does best, which is cause problems. Yeah. Take over. He says, mm, I don't like this play. You should rewrite it. Yes. Um, I don't think Pyramus should die at the end because I'm way too good of an actor to just play a character who dies. Yes. So you should make him live just for me. And he also says, like, I want to make sure that they know that I'm Bottom Believer and I'm not Pyramus. And so Peter yeah, Quinn's, yeah, he's like, I just need to make sure they like, know. I'm such a good actor that they're going to think that I'm actually Pyramus. Yes. And Peter Quinn says, okay, we'll put in a prologue that says, like, you didn't actually die. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, there's going to be ladies in the audience, right? And they're going to think that I actually died on stage and they're going to be so scared. And then Snout hears him and he goes, well, won't the ladies be scared of the lion? Yeah, so we have this whole so we have this whole thing where they write a prologue, which is basically where they tell the audience what's going to happen before it happens, and they also tell the audience, "Don't worry. We're actually just these normal people. We're not Pyramus, we're not Thisbe, we're not this lion. I'm not actually going to die on stage, just so you know. Just so you know. I'm going to be fine." So everything Peter Quint says, Bottom goes in and just adds another thing to it. So Bottom says, like, oh, you know, Pyramus and Thisbe can't see each other. And Peter Quinn says, oh, well, they can see each other by moonlight. And Snout says, well, like, doth the moon shine that night we play our play? And Bottom's like, well, we gotta find a calendar. So he's just getting them off the rails, like, every time they do something. And they end up adding all these fun characters. Mm -hmm. Like, they add the character of the moon. And they put, like, a dog howling at the moon and a bush to show that it's the moon. So it's a lantern that he's holding. But he's like, think that it's the moon. It's funny. Because it's not a necessary character (laughs) at all. And then Peter Quince talks about how Pyramus and Thisbe talk through a hole in a wall. And so Bottom says, like, well, we gotta have somebody, you know, beat the wall. And so they assign a wall. And as they're assigning parts, Puck comes in. Our favorite troublemaker comes in to just make a whole lot of things go wrong and so what happens is bottom kind of gets separated from the group yes and while he's separated puck 
changes his head into the head of a donkey or the head of an ass, which they say a lot in the play. So Bottom comes back in with a donkey's head. It's literally the head of a donkey yes. on a human body. So he comes back in and he's like, okay, we're ready to rehearse. He doesn't realize that anything's wrong. And then all the other mechanicals, they freak out. And they run away. They run away. Yes. And just leaves Bottom so confused. And then he runs into Titania. Mm-hmm. Kind of walks straight into her bed. Yeah, so Titania, remember, is sleeping and she's had... The love juice on her eyes that's going to make her fall in love with the next creature that she sees. So she opens her eyes and she sees Bottom with an ass's head on. Yeah. And so Titania is automatically enamored with this creature that has the head of an ass on a human body. Yes. And he like sings this little song because he hasn't seen her yet. And Titania's like, you're such a good singer. Sing for me again. And Bottom's like, oh, well, there's more where that came from. And they fall in love to an extent. And so she calls all of her fairies there to come bring him whatever he wants. And they do this little roll call that's funny. And there's this whole scene where I just imagine Bottom, like, stretched out on, like, a couch <laughs> being fed grapes. Yes. You know, that really classic thing of just, like, the rich person. Maybe he's being fanned by some of the fairies. Mm-hmm. And it's this really awesome juxtaposition of something that's considered ugly with Titania, who's literally the queen of the fairies. She's considered like this epic beauty, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of her fairies are introduced, which I just want to, you know, call attention to their lovely names, which are Peas Blossom, Cobweb Moth, and Mustard Seed. Just delightful names for fairies. Yes. I saw a production where um, all the fairies were like what you what you'd consider, you know, would be pixie like. And then Mustard Seed was this big buff man. He That's came out amazing. and he went, Mustard Seed. And it was like the best part of the show. It was so funny. That's so awesome. It was great. That's great. Anyway, Titania basically says, give him whatever he wants, do whatever he wants. Give him what he wants because he's my lover now. Yes. And then we cut to Oberon with Puck. And Puck basically goes to Oberon to report to him the success of this mission. Yes. And he has this lovely monologue where he talks about everything went exactly as planned. Titania woke up and she saw this man with an ass's head. And and it's it's, so funny. It's hilarious. You gotta come see it. Mm -hmm. Also, I found the Athenian couple that you're talking about and I fixed everything. Yes. And then Demetrius and Hermia enter. Mm -hmm. And okay, so remember, Hermia is the one that everyone was in love with. That's about to be switched around. Demetrius and Hermia enter, and they kind of have the same dynamic that Demetrius and Helena have, yeah, but in the other direction. Yeah, so it really just switched. So Demetrius was in love with Hermia from the beginning. Yes. But Hermia still loves Lysander, but remember, he ran off and she can't find him. Yeah, because Lysander's had the love spell put on him, and he's, you know, fallen in love with Helena, and Helena thinks it's a joke. So they have this interaction where they fight and Hermia basically is like, I don't love you. I'm never going to love you. Where's my Lysander? I don't want to see you anymore. And Demetrius is like, no, I love her. And Oberon's like, what did you do? Yeah, because he's like, um, this wasn't fixed, Puck. What are you doing? (laughs) This is the wrong lovers. (laughs) And Puck is like, uh, obviously they're in Athenian clothes. What was I supposed to do? And so Oberon basically says, go fix it. And then you can come back. Puck says, I go, I go, look how I go. He's like, all right, I'm going, I'm going, don't. I'm leaving. 
don't nag me. And then Oberon does a whole monologue again about the flower. Mm-hmm. He, he talks so much flower. about this yeah. flower. He gives like deep descriptions. I feel like I'm reading a J.R.R. Tolkien book. Where he just about a plant. so much of the nature. Yeah. It's wonderful. It is fantastic. So in comes Lysander and Helena. And Lysander has been put under a spell to be in love with Helena. Remember. So, and Helena still thinks that this joke is going on. So we have more of this dynamic between them. Yes. And remember, Demetri is in love with Hermia for now. And Hermia is in love with Lysander. Lysander and Helena have this moment. And then Puck puts the spell on Demetrius because he's fallen asleep. And he wakes up. First person he sees is Helena. And Helena loves Demetrius. Yes. So now these two men that were in love with Hermia are now in love with Helena. And Demetrius immediately says, oh, Helena, goddess, nymph, perfect, divine. And so now Helena thinks that both of them are in on the joke. Yes. She says, oh, spite, oh, hell, I see you all are bent to set against me for your merriment. And this is also where we get a really sad moment with Helena. It's like, why do you all keep ganging up on me? Yeah. Because if you remember just a couple scenes ago, Demetrius told Helena that he would never love her. He told her, like, I would rather you die. Yeah. He says, I don't care about you. I don't care anything that happens to you. And now all of a sudden he's like, goddess divine, give me a kiss, sweet cheeks. I'm just imagining how I would feel if I was in that position. Yes. Like, that's just such an awful thing. Yes. And they don't mean to be, but they're really jerks. They're just under this, like, love spell. Lysander hears Helena talk about her woes, and he's like, Demetrius, how dare you hurt Helena? So now we have these two dude bros Mm -hmm. going at it because they're both enchanted to love Helena. Yes. And so I saw a production (laughs) of this where they had this scene filmed. Mm -hmm. So they filmed this, and then they showed it on a screen to the audience, and it was this really fun like 1920s style like (laughs) charlie chaplin fight almost nice where it was just super slapstick and it can definitely be played as a really comedic moment yes um just where everybody's switching around who they love Mm. and it's really confusing yes and there's just all this miscommunication going on i would argue that this is probably the most famous scene in the play like, this is often done for competitions. It's considered the funniest scene. This lover's quarrel scene, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's done a lot. So Helena says this line that I really like because they're, you know, Lysander's talking about how much he loves Helena. She says, never did mockers waste more idle breath. And then Dimitri says, Lysander, keep thy Hermia, <laughs> you know, like pushing it aside. And they're fighting with each other. And then Hermia enters and she's like, Lysander, I've been looking for you. I've missed you. You're back. It's been so dark and lonely and all these trees have been scratching me. And, you know, like, oh, Lysander. And Lysander's like, um, he's like, what? I don't know. Like, I don't care about you. He's like, I don't love you. Who are you? Basically. Yes. And so now we have everyone upset. (laughs) Yes. No one is happy. Because Hermia's like, oh, I think you're lying. And Helena, you know, instantly thinks that Hermia is part of the joke, is in on the joke against her. And then we have the lovers quarrel again, but between Helena and Hermia. So then we have a fight between them and they're like, I'm going to scratch out your eyes type of thing. They have like jokes about Hermia's hide a lot, which is a very funny thing. Yeah. There's a because Hermia really... is really short. Yes. That's... And she has a line in the beginning of the play where she's like really self-conscious about her height. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so then Helena comes in. He's like, you're so short. Her she has says, a line where she I'm, says, I'm not so short that I can't scratch out your eyes with my nails. Yes. And I think it's funny because there's a quote from this scene that's used a lot to be like, empower women. And it is, though she be but little, she is fierce. And it's actually Helena being like, oh, she's going to come for me. Like, Hermia's got a fire like, in her. Look at this tiny, tiny woman. Yes. She's going to come fight me. Though she be but little, she, she is, is fierce. fierce. Yeah. And remember, while they're having this fight, Lysander and Demetrius are both in love with Helena. So they just protect her this whole time. And there's even a point when Lysander, like, picks up Hermia. And it's mm-hmm. very funny. And often I'll see with casting, I'll cast Lysander as really tall and Hermia is really short. So you can get this really funny dynamic where he, like, just picks her up and she, like, claws at his back like a cat. It's funny. So there's this whole long scene of just them fighting yes and then you know they leave right they all they all get chased away yeah because helena runs away and then they all follow helena and then hermia says i'm amazed and don't know what to say and then she exits pursuing helena she's like what just happened yes and oberon turns to puck and is like you see <laughs> you messed up <laughs> you messed up real bad and puck's like it's kind of funny but like okay i'll fix it you know mm-hmm. so puck goes in search of the lovers and first he meets lysander and then he lures lysander away so he can take the spell away from yeah them. so he can take the spell so basically he puts both lysander and demetrius to sleep and then he takes the spell off of lysander but not off of demetrius yes because the whole thing we were trying to do from the very beginning was to get Demetrius to love Helena. Which, this is kind of, I feel like this is slightly reminiscent of a bed trick, which is something we'll probably talk about in other Shakespeare plays because it's done a lot. Tune into later episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like, I know that it's like, oh, they all end up together and they're super happy, but it, it's almost a little bit of like, sits with me wrong that Demetrius just has this spell mm-hmm. left on him. He ends up with Helena, but not because he actually loves her, but no. because... He's been put under a magical spell yes, and th- to be in love with her. And this is something we see a lot with Shakespeare plays, that there are dynamics that are kind of not okay for today's world, which is why we change things up a little bit. Absolutely not make okay them- for today's world, I would say. Oh, yeah, we make them different. In fact, something that we didn't talk about in the beginning, but I do want to bring up, is that Helena and Demetrius used to be lovers. It is referenced That's earlier true. on. That's true. Yeah, I that forget they were, about that. Mm-hmm, they were in love, and then Demetrius throws her aside for Hermia, and we're assuming that it is for Hermia, like the connection that he gets through Hermia's father mm-hmm. and everything. Possibly money, power, yeah. that and type I, of thing. I think that that could be used as an argument that Demetrius actually loves Helena, but it just depends... You really have to play it a very specific way. There's a production that they did um, actually in the Globe where Helena is a man, so their love is forbidden. And I think that's a really cool take on it. That would be really cool. Yeah, because it's see. like they're actually in love, but Demetrius is like, I can't be with you. This would ruin my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really interesting. So Puck starts leading all the lovers back and he makes them fall asleep and, you know, he takes the love potion away from Lysander, leaves it on Demetrius. We talked about why that's controversial. And then kind of leaves them there. And the idea is that they'll all wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. the morning of actually Theseus and Hippolyta's wedding. He says wedding. he has this really nice monologue where he says jack shall have jill not shall go ill the man shall have his mare again and all shall be well yes so basically okay the two couples that were meant to be together from the beginning Mm -hmm. are going to be together and it's all going to be well and good yes and we've tied up one world of our story to an extent so now we're going to move on to the next world of our story, which is Titania and Bottom and the fairies, kind of, and the whole conflict there. So I don't I don't like this scene very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't either. So this is the beginning of Act 4. But this is basically Oberon and Puck just watching Titania and Bottom, just like, look at how hilarious this is. 
And what a fool she's making of herself. Yeah. I feel like also the consent in this scene is a little dubious. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because Titania does not actually love Bottom. She's got mm-hmm. a love spell put on her, which is interesting. And so Bot- Bottom is very much like settled into his role as, you know, the lover, as the consort for Titania. And Titania's just fawning over him. And, you know, they fall asleep. She says, sleep thou, mm-hmm. and I wi- I'll wind thee in my arms, you know? And then, yeah, this is when Oberon decides, okay, enough's enough. Yeah. I'm going to take the love spell off of Titania. So then she falls asleep. She wakes up. The spell is gone. And she says, oh, what visions I have seen. Methought I was enamored with an ass. And Oberon says, there lies your love. And shows her the ass that she was in love with. And she's like what i thought that was a dream i thought that was a dream and now i hate that guy yeah like she's like oh like looking at him now oh that's oh i was in love with that thing like take him away and oberon tells puck you know like get rid of him you know fix him make take him... off his head yeah. yeah but not like actually just you know make him a human again mm-hmm so this is where kind of the spells are wrapping up yes we're kind of tying up our loose ends and they get like, and there's this moment between Titania and Oberon where it's like, we're, you know, kind of fixing our relationship a mm-hmm. little bit. Where know? they decide they're going to be more than their quarrel and they're going to love each other again. Yes. Which, you know, I don't know if Oberon tells Titania that he was the one who made her fall in love with Bottom. I feel like maybe she can discern it. I think, yeah, I think because it's, right. it's meant to be a punishment for her, which mm-hmm. is dubious and you know. not great. <laughs> not my favorite there's a lot to thing. unpack there yeah but they you know they say like we'll we'll dance at theseus and Hippolyta's wedding and then we get a scene with theseus and Hippolyta, and you know we get to see them actually kind of in love a little bit more which i think mm-hmm. is really lovely especially because in the beginning of the play while they're still planning their wedding and they're still excited there is an element of tension here that's often shown in productions i've seen there's a really fantastic production um, of A Midsummer Night's Dream that Julie Tamar directed. She's the person who directed Lion King. On Broadway. Yeah, yes. and so her whole thing, she's a costumer and a director, which of course is why I love her. Yeah, so her thing is with puppets. Yeah, she does this whole thing with puppets. If you've seen like any of the videos for Lion King on Broadway, which you definitely should check it out, in this production that she directs, it's this whole thing with like ultraviolet light and like this really cool thing. And she portrays Theseus and Hippolyta in the beginning like not liking each other and then they're in love in the end and it, it, it's really a reflection this is why often Oberon and Titania are double cast as them is because it's a reflection of their relationship mm-hmm. and then we have Aegeus or Aegeus I know we all say his name differently uh, it it doesn't really matter there's some Shakespeare names you just you just say your own way you know anyway so yeah so then we have Aegeus and he literally finds the four lovers yes. all sleeping in like a big pile together yeah. There is a film of Midsummer Night's Dream <laughs> with Reese Witherspoon in it. Um, and in the scene where they went, they're all naked. Does she all, play Hermia? I think she does, oh, yeah. Of course she so does. They're, so they're all just like buck naked in the forest. The dad comes and he's like, what is this? <laughs> he literally sees them all just lying there. And they just wake up and they're like so confused. But it's, <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, so they all wake up and Demetrius goes to Aegeus or Aegeus or however you say his name. And Demetrius goes to him and he says, I can't marry your daughter. I'm in love with Helena. 
And he's like, well, I guess I have to let you guys marry each other. You yeah. know, the people you want to marry. He's, like, strangely okay with it. Yeah, it's very tied up quickly. Bec- yeah, because especially in the beginning, he said, okay, Hermia, you're going to marry Demetrius or we're going to kill you. And so this is a really quick turnaround for him. It's real fast. But I think that it's, like, Demetrius doesn't want to. And, you know, the man's opinion matters. <laughs> oh, obviously the man's opinion Not his daughter that would rather die more. than marry Demetrius. So they all get up and go get changed because it's Theseus and Hippolyta's wedding and they sit down and they get ready to see the play within a play which is probably the other famous scene in this yes the lover's quarrel and the play within a play that are the very famous scenes and then at the very end of this we have bottom Mm -hmm. who wakes up after being put to sleep he has the donkey head taken off of him and he's like i've had the craziest dream yeah (laughs) he says i had a dream that i had the head of an ass and what i'm gonna do is this was such a good dream i'm gonna have peter quince write a play about this called bottom's dream (laughs) not midsummer night's dream bottom's bottom's dream yeah imagine if this play was called bottom's dream oh i wish (laughs) (laughs) so peter quince and the whole crew of all the mechanicals are waiting outside Bottom's house because it's time for them to perform. They've only had one rehearsal, which I actually think is kind of true to original practice at the time. Yeah, like, they wouldn't rehearse for very long. No, they wouldn't. They would just kind of go for it, which I think is very funny. But they, they're outside Bottom's house, and they're like, we really hope he's here because we got to perform. And they all think that Bottom has died. Because, because he's been missing for a while. Yeah, like a hot minute. Like, he just ran off into the forest, and they didn't see him again. Mm-hmm. So they were you know justifiably worried about him yes and bottom appears and they're all very happy that he's you know alive and um they're they're gonna go prep to perform for theseus and apologize wedding and theseus and apologize have a moment together where they talk and the lovers are there and they kind of like talk about like theater and like which play they want to see they say oh we have these players here and there's a character here that i just want to point out named philistrate and depending on your production, Phyllis Street will be double cast as the actor who plays Puck. Yes, I have yeah. seen that. Yeah, and that's like, there are other connections, you know, especially with the lovers for Puck in the mortal realm. But this is like, I think, a really great way of showing that Puck is the one, you know, connecting all the realms together mm-hmm. is by casting the same actor who plays Puck as Phyllis Street, which I think is really cool. Yeah, so this is the final scene of the play. And this, here we have the characters talking about theater and this is something that Shakespeare kind of does a lot yeah is he has his characters talk about theater and acting and what they think it should be yeah so we have a lot of Shakespeare's opinions about what he thinks theater is or should be which is super cool and interesting Mm -hmm. and so everyone's happy they've gotten married the four lovers are all well and good Philistrate gives these use paper and is like here's all the entertainment pick which one you want So the mechanicals might have not even been able to perform if they hadn't been picked. But Theseus is like, oh, I love the story of Pyramus and Thisbe. Mm -hmm. Let's see that. And he even describes it. There's a tedious, brief scene of young Pyramus and his love Thisbe. Very tragical mirth. (laughs) It's like tragical mirth. That's a great oxymoron there. Yeah. And it just. It's just sweet. It's like there's some some of Shakespeare's language kind of hits home in a way that's very like sweet Mm -hmm. and tender. It hits your heart. So then we get right into the play. Yeah, they just go for it. So this is another one of the super famous scenes from this play. Mm -hmm. It's called The Play Within a Play. 
Yes. And it's where the mechanicals perform the tragedy of Pyramus and Thisbe, which, as we talked about, is a direct parallel of Romeo and Juliet, which is a play written by Shakespeare about two star-crossed lovers who end up dying. Yeah, which, honestly, Shakespeare probably got his idea for Romeo and Juliet from the story of Pyramus and Thisbe, because it is a story that exists mm-hmm. in Greek literature. You can find it. It's, it's out there, you know? But they go straight into it with the prologue that we talked about earlier, which is saying, like, just so you know, this man is Pyramus, but he's not Pyramus. I think this is kind of something that Shakespeare plays on later in Henry V with his prologue, where they say, yeah. like, you know, it's 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 a little less, like, don't be scared, it's not a real lion, and it's a little more, like, suspend your belief, we know this mm-hmm. isn't real, but I think Shakespeare kind of makes fun of himself, and he's very, like, he brings his own things back. He definitely does, and... The prologue is also a convention that we see pretty often in plays mm-hmm. in, in this time where even in Romeo and Juliet, um, there's yeah, a prologue who says, households. this yeah. is all that's going to happen in this play. So at the very beginning, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen. Yes. And so you're not going to be surprised. And you're not going to miss anything. Yeah. So yeah. And that also kind of speaks to Shakespeare's audiences during yeah. that time. <laughs> Because he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen beforehand in really simple terms. Mm-hmm. So there's no way you can miss anything or misunderstand yeah, it. Yeah, especially if we're talking about original practice. Because in that time period, especially people that were like down where they would just pay like, what, a shilling and just stand and watch the shows. They were rowdy. Like Shakespeare's audiences responded. There was an element of call and response. Mm-hmm. This active element of like the audience would shout things out and they would make a lot of noise and you'd have conversations with your neighbors. So this this device of a prologue is to tell you, like, here's the story in case you miss it. Because you probably won't be paying attention during the actual play. So yeah. I'm going to tell you everything that's going on right now. And throughout this play, we have Theseus, Hippolyta, and the lovers making comments yeah. about it. Criticism, really. Yeah. They make criticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they, they do this production of Pyramus and Visby. You know, they, they do their prologue where they tell you everything that's going to happen and they bring out these characters. Um, You know, there's, mo- there's you know, this character playing Moonshine, this character playing Lion, the lovers. The wall. The wall. We love the wall. And each of the characters have their own little monologue. So wall talks about how, like, I am a wall. And, like, I've got this little, like, tiny crack in my wall that see each other through and talk to each other. And then the Moonshine comes out and he's like, uh, I'm the moon. This is so Pyramus and Thisbe can actually see each other. It's so funny when it's done well because the mo- moonshine is typically played as this character that's like, I get to finally be this person. And then they kick him out. And it's so funny yeah. when like, it's done I get well. to finally be on stage. And then they're like, leave. We don't like you. Yeah. So Pyramus and Thisbe, they meet. Um, there's a wall in between them, but they talk between this hole that's in the wall. And they decide to meet at a place called Ninus Tomb. Yeah. And this is where they can go and not be found out because their love is forbidden. So when this bee gets there, she gets there first, and there's a lion there. Yeah. And this lion is played by Snug the Joiner, who has this <laughs> wonderful little monologue. He says, um, ladies who are in the audience, don't worry. Don't be scared. I'm not an actual lion. I'm Snug the Joiner. So because I'm such a great actor and because... My roaring is so good. Just know <laughs> that it's actually me and there's not a real lion on stage. <laughs> so don't worry about that. There's a few like funny things that happen earlier. Like they mispronounce Ninus tomb as Ninny's tomb. And also Moonshine keeps trying to come out and say his line and they keep making fun of him. Yeah, I feel yeah. so bad for Moonshine. It's really funny when it's done. <laughs> But I do feel bad for him because it's so sad. He keeps trying to save the lion. But mm-hmm. Thisbe runs away, gets chased off by the lion. So, yeah, so Thisbe gets chased off by the lion, but she leaves her scarf behind, which yes. this is really important. 
And the scarf is kind of bloodied by yeah. the lion. Because the lion's like bit it and the lion has blood beads. Yeah. So then we see Pyramus and he comes and just sees Thisbe's bloodied scarf on the ground. And he has this whole scene where he's so dramatic. And basically, he thinks that Thisbe is dead, and so he stabs himself. Yeah. It's really dramatic, but it's, you know, because it is the play within the play, and it is a, you know, they're the mechanicals, it's very funny. Yeah, where he says, like, oh, fates, this is my destiny <laughs> to die in this really romantic, dramatic way. Well, and he, like, pulls out his sword, and he's like, this is gonna happen, and then he does this big log like tears are coming to my eyes and like my soul is in the sky tongue lose thy light like you know and then he's die die he says like six times i think and then he you know stabs himself when this particular moment is done well it's one of my favorite it's moments really in all of shakespeare not even just this play but all of shakespeare because it is so funny it's really good we have more commentary from the lovers yeah. and from uh, Hippolyta and Theseus. They're like, oh, yeah, great play. Good job. Yeah. And then they come back and they're like, oh, it's not over yet. Oh, and they've chased off Moonshine earlier. And so Hippolyta says a line like, how chance Moonshine has gone before Thisbe comes back and finds her lover. And Theseus says, she will find him by starlight. <laughs> like, don't bring that guy back on. Don't, don't worry bring about Moonshine it. back on, please. Don't worry about it. So then... Thisbe comes and finds Pyramus, who is actually dead. Yeah. And she has this whole great monologue where she talks about the fates coming to, like, get her. Yes. And she decides that she's going to stab herself, too, because she obviously can't live Yeah, I remember Romeo and Juliet moment. Yeah. Something I think is really interesting about this monologue is for the comedy of the play, I've seen it done where, like, both of them are played up. They're super, like, farcical and funny and, like, you know, very mechanical-esque i've also seen it where pyramus's monologue is like really dramatic and then thizzy's monologue starts off super dramatic and then like fades into this like really good monologue that would be really cool yeah the julie tamer version i was talking about which i know i like love her and her productions of things but um that version i was talking about she does it like that you know she directs it like that where it starts off like really dramatic and then it gets to this point where it's like you, you kind of want to, like, hold your heart a little bit. And the lovers are all, like, super affected. And then, you know, she dies. And then Theseus makes commentary, you know. Mm -hmm. And Bottom, like, pops back up. He's like, oh, don't worry. It's over. Do you want to see, like, the second part? We have a dance and we can do an epilogue. And Theseus is like, no, we, like, we don't need it. No, please, please do not do any more. This was so bad. We're so done. <laughs> he and says, so no epilogue. I pray you for your play needs. No excuse. Yeah, then they do a dance. Yeah. They have this lovely little dance moment. And then they leave, or they're in the background. It depends on what production does it, but Puck mm -hmm. comes out and has this monologue. And this is probably one of the most famous monologues in all of Shakespeare, I would argue. Yeah. What this monologue is basically saying is he's talking to the audience, and he says, if you didn't like this play, just imagine it was a dream. Imagine that you were dreaming, yeah. and that it wasn't actually a play, and so if you didn't like it, it's your own fault. Yeah. Which is funny, but it's also very sweet because he says, you know, like, just call me a liar and, like, put the blame on me and mm -hmm. then we'll, we'll be friends anyway. Yeah. He says, give me your hands if we be friends and Robin shall restore amends. Yeah. It's very sweet. It's this very, like, sweet ending to this, I think, very whimsical play. Yeah. So there you have it. That's yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream. 